my 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 i my os whatever apple updated this morning and i don't know what's going on and it's everything's been a little weird and i'm not sure how i feel about it i'm very i can already find myself roger williams author of my favorite book metamorphosis of prime intellect available on lulu will be in the description buy it or you're a domestic terrorist and i will have the fbi (laughs) break down your house and shoot your dog and uh, that's a threat. That is a threat. That's not out of context. That's a that's a fucking threat. I'll call the attorney general and get it done. Um, but I can already find myself sort of slipping. The attorney general, man, you got Dale. I know. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. I know, right? The attorney general would be like, "Do you know a guy named Dale?" I'll be like, "Oh, fuck. All right. Yeah, I know him. Yeah. It's uh It's. I can already find myself slipping into like, you know, thirty-one, slowly becoming like phasing out into like an older generation just every i'm finding more and more i'm just like i'm like what is this new thing or i'll be like what are these kids doing and i'll like was watching, get off my fucking lawn well i was watching tim <laughs> dillon last night and he was you know he was talking about the new facebook like the whatever like augmented reality and stuff and I was just looking at is it. Is that a load of horse shit or what? Whatever it is, I just mm-hmm. involuntarily found myself going like, this is too much too fast. And I I stopped and I was like, I need to get a cane and tell people to get off my lawn. Because I was like, this is too much too fast. Isn't cell phones enough? Back in my day, we played Halo and drank vodka out of water bottles. What's these augmented reality, these goddamn kids and their genders and their fentanyl? Like things that don't apply. Just like. You know, growing up and parents being like, if you smoke weed, you're going to dance with the devil. And it's like, what? I've just find myself. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you when it really hits you is when you hear your music on the oldie station. Oh, fuck. That's when you know. That is when you know. I will know when I get to release like a 12 like DVD box off or a box set of like the original like TPC like library. That's classic TPC. When I'm doing a 2 a.m. infomercial. Like the classics, and it's just like it, they play it with like the same music as like the History Channel, where it's like, bah, 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 bah. and then you know, it shows like the B 17 flying, and it's like classics tonight, and it's just me like, where's COVID? It's yeah, but um, <laughs> just something as simple as like my oh, my operating system updating, and like just like the default background is I'm looking at it around like the periphery, it's like kind of purplish and blue as opposed to my black that enough I'm saying not- I, I i have to talk all, all of the apple fanboys at work at buzzplay is like well that's because you have all these problems because you're using windows you know it's like well i have to use windows because i got work software that doesn't run under osx but it's like hey you're having the same shit to deal with that i do yeah welcome to the club welcome to the game <laughs> yeah it's uh that's yeah i don't know man it's it's already too much. It, things are updating, and I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not sure about the, as only the great Tim Dillon can say. So apparently, there is a problem on Facebook where in Puerto Rico, people were selling maids on Facebook. Like oh, and like, in, in like India and uh, like the help the. Yeah, the, it was, it's it's been a major human trafficking platform, and Zuckerberg has been like doing the the dash over it for at least two years because it's been uh there have been governments trying to pester them to say do something about 
uh, all of these human traffickers that are using your website to sell people. And they're like, yeah, we're not yeah, okay. it, it's, you know, I mean, Roger, you, I mean, you're very aware of where I stand when people are like, we need to limit hate speech. And I'm like, oh, shut up, you retard. Like, I don't <laughs> And I understand that those are my opinions and not Roger's. And we all have our own opinions. Sure, I get it. Private company. But there is something, you know, when I see it's like Facebook has been putting profits ahead of hate speech. I'm like, oh, fuck off. It's a private company. When you see the whole. I think we human, can all agree that like slavery is bad. When we see the human trafficking deadline, that's when you see even like me like bright white blue eyed in front of an american flag even you see me where i'm like hold on <laughs> like what? didn't we settle this in 1865 you know we all shake hands on this and go you know <laughs> some of us like this and some of us like that and we vote this way and vote th- what is you're selling maids hold on no you gotta okay no we're all we can all link arms and go fuck that <laughs> like that's not, that, but <laughs> tim Dillon was like He's like he has this like he has in like a small like bottom right hand corner of his screen. It's like Mark Zuckerberg on like because the dude can't act human and he's like doing this whole metaverse thing and he's like oh this augmented reality and Tim's like what about the real reality where maids are being like getting the shit kicked out of them in closets and sold for pesos? <laughs> it's he really also you know we are kind of like. Would you expect, I think it was Ray Kump, who's like the even more overweight, lesser known side of Tim Dillon. But he's like, you know, as bad as the pandemic is and Trump getting into office and then going out the way we all predicted it. He goes, in a weird way, doesn't it almost feel on time? Like, doesn't it almost feel like, yeah, this is where we should be like this. You can't put a finger on it, but you're almost like this is yeah, this is how we sh- this is where we would be. I'm getting those. Well, vi- vi- it's just like in general, like the world just going insane. You're kind of like this is bad, but at the same time, you're like I kind of, you know, we get what we deserve. Seeing yeah. seeing Elon Musk clearing three hundred billion, and then Mark Zuckerberg talking about entering like the metaverse. I mean, it kind of feels like it's right on time. <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah. No, they uh, there there was a thing going around a couple of weeks ago. It's like, what's wrong with this picture? And it was like, Elon Musk value, you know, net worth in 1998, net worth in 2020. You know, Zuckerberg net worth in 20s, and it's all like factors of ten. Yeah. More minimum wage 1998 750 in 2021 750. Yeah, or was it in uh, in in it was like 1980 the average CEO made like 10x the lowest employee, and now it's yeah, like now it's three, like it's like 390 300 times. Yeah, it's like 390. Yeah, so. Um, uh, based and I know we'll on the reading in a minute. Base Nation by mm-hmm. David Vine, one of my favorite books. I had him on here in the early 400s, mid 400s. But I love his book because he, he talks about kind of the irony. He's a he's a very liberal guy. I think a Georgetown professor. But he kind of points out so beautifully how like there's just this this irony that like the military industrial complex like within it is almost the most perfect uh, execution of socialism in world history. <laughs> the yes. United the United States. You would really like. To, I think I've recommended it to you before. Well, I mean, that's the trade-off for the fact that you have to follow all these rules and obey yeah. orders and stuff yeah. like that. So it's like they also have to take care of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they've yeah. removed your ability 
to creatively take care of yourself. They're telling you where to go and what you have to do. Sure. So they have to make sure that what they're telling you doesn't jeopardize your life and your livelihood in unnecessary ways. Now, getting shot at by the enemy is obviously one of the things that you That's risk for going to war. But having your wife and kids starve to death because they're not paying you enough and they've stationed you in San Francisco is a little bit different. Yeah. You know, that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, and so, yeah. So they have a lot of things. Uh, one of the things I've always found amusing uh, is that in if you are in the military on a military base, the drinking age is still 18. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Right. It's uh, because what are they going to do? Tell somebody you can go shoot at people and get shot at, but you can't have a beer. Well, it's kind of that funny thing where people are like, what? So I can go die for my country, but I can't drink. And it's like, actually, no, you can drink on military bases. So if you want to, yes. if you, you someone's going to call your bluff. If you, you're in the military and you're on a base, then yeah. yes, you can drink. You can't pull that shit when you're 18 and in high school. It's like, because if you want to, like, we can sign you up right now and you, you can go die for your country and drink. And it's like, okay, I'll wait till 21. But like, <laughs> but he goes into it and talks about how it's like within like these like military sort of compact, they call them Little America. It's just these bases around. It's like the biggest mm-hmm. pay disparity between the lowest paid and the highest paid is like 6X or something, 7X. And it really is fascinating that it's like this kind of uh, classically or at least, you know, we kind of quote, right, more of like a, like a far right, you know, kind of American flag military thing is actually, ironically, the most successful execution of socialism. And it really is. There's yeah. just sort it's of this. It's a design system from the ground up. It's it's beautiful and it's hilarious and it's it's like there's yeah, like there's there's you know red white and blue like you know open carry like you know we got fucking sam sites and m1 abrams and it's like and healthcare for everyone and it's like yeah actually yeah they do it what what happens if we died no the whole the whole place takes care of your wife and kids they foot all the bills all the schooling everything for the rest of and it's like but it's this it's this weird thing where the left and the right both have to like come to their own contradictions mm-hmm. where the right's like that's socialism and the left's like they have like they have guns and it's just this weird like this weird floating contradiction that no one really knows how to handle and you're like you know it's like seeing one hand clapping you're like huh but uh with that roger let's get started on the readings because i have a, okay. a, a doctor in a in an hour and uh yeah. Rearrange my windows here then. And Roger Williams wearing yeah, a fantastic Bob see. Lazar shirt that's available at the TPC yes. merch store, which is in the description as well. Which is so, so appropriate for the season two. Happy Halloween or Blessed Samhain or whatever you observe the festivities. I praise the Halloween, the pumpkin god, which I just made up at this moment. <laughs> um, also, real quick, even though we have 453 subscribers on Rumble as of today, October. Oh yeah, Happy Halloween, Sunday, October thirty first, twenty twenty one. Whereas it took that long. Yeah, yeah, dude. I fucking i I was hanging out with my investor yesterday, and he's like, "What are your plans for tomorrow?" I was like, "Roger," and then I have a physician who I haven't talked to before. He's like, "What else?" I was like, "Well, I normally clean on Sundays," and he was like, "It's Halloween." Got any candy? No, he was like, "It's Halloween," and I go, and I kind of pause. I go, "Case in point, this is a good investment for you because I work my ass off." But um. <laughs> At the height of YouTube, we had 6,500 subscribers, I think. And the most viewed video was uh, an interview with Dale, and it was at 39,000. On Rumble, 4, 453 subscribers, so about 1 15th my height of YouTube. 
But now my most viewed video there is at 42,700 with Dr. Merrill Nass, episode 578. That's not bad. Well, it really kind of lends credence to, I think there was a thumb on the scale at YouTube. If I have now passed my most viewed video with one fifteenth <laughs> the subscribers, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, some bullshit. So, uh, mm-hmm. so uh, we are going to start this at episode thirty-two, as it was originally published on Reddit, and go through part thirty-seven. Uh, and as you might recall. Also appropriate for the season, our heroes uh, were recently given fur by the people who also gave them stupidly long life so that they can pass as aliens and not look so much like humans. Uh, I didn't realize until this morning, in fact, when I was reviewing it, that this is a really appropriate set of uh, chapters to be reading on Halloween. We've, we've had so, this happen before with your readings, right? I think with vaccines, I think there was something with like war breaking yeah. out and there was like shit going on in Taiwan. <laughs> we have this weird uh, woo manifested. Roger reads and it happens in the real world. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, uh, the curators, part 32. The council debated for a couple of weeks while Em and I had our own arguments. I wasn't surprised when they formally asked us to help them raise their technology. At the same time, I was almost ready to walk back our offer, except I'd also been talking to other natives about the issue. And at some point, someone told me that it had been 70,000 years since they rejected the curator's gift to the nanites. 70,000 years of children and old and unlucky people dying of curable diseases and treatable injuries. 70,000 years of reading by candlelight and farming with draft animals and knowing there was a galactic civilization but being excluded from it. 70,000 years of bodies stacked like cordwood and dreams tossed in a river of pride. What could you say to such a situation? It would be our honor to help you, is what I said. We still have to get knowledge for them. We don't have the training to raise them from this point to where our own training becomes useful. I have to go to Earth, I said heavily. You can't go to Earth, M said very flatly. Of course I can. There's nothing to stop me except the fear of what might happen to me if I'm noticed there. But I've realized the last few days that with this fur, which we asked for so we could pass unnoticed among aliens, we look more like aliens than humans. I won't go back to Earth as myself. I will go as an alien. We can go. No, you need to stay behind in case I fail. You might have to figure it out the hard way, but at least you know the end game. You actually know how to make a fold drive. I have a pretty good idea what I have to do, and our assets have continued to increase at regular interest as we've gotten older. We're fairly wealthy, and I, we should be able to afford what we need. If you draw on those accounts, you won't be an alien anymore. If anyone has tracers on us, and you know they do, they will draw them right to you. Well, we don't have anything else, and I consider it a thing we have to do. In the end, she relented. For her, as a technologist, she saw a society that was stable and harmonious. For me, as a doctor, I saw all kinds of preventable illness and death. We agreed on a plan. She would fly me to Hyacinth, which had a regular trade with Earth via the landable fold ships, which eliminated the orbit-to-ground transfer bottleneck, and I would rendezvous with her when I had gotten what we needed. 
none of the alien world seemed to have what we could consider an economy, except in some kind of fantasy thought experiment. Even though I was from a non-existent race with no home world or resources, all it took was presenting at the terminal and making up an access code, and I had a birth of standard type 23, best suited for humans, as well as a range of other similar species. I was early, and seven days were reserved for loading the ship, so I spent them the least conspicuous way possible, getting drunk and making small talk with the other passengers at the bar. Nearly all of them spoke at least a little common. I was very careful to be coy about my own origins. I quickly learned that this is actually a thing among the aliens, and claiming to be from a quarantined world was an accepted way to answer none of your business to the question, where are you from? It also isn't unheard of for typically unmodest aliens to wear cod pieces to protect their more sensitive bits. And that was good because with a little makeup on the bare skin of my face and hands, those bits were my most obvious human tell. After two days, I returned from the bar to find my old acquaintance, the human form curator, in my cabin. I can't believe my cover is already blown, I said dejectedly as I sat down on the bed. Only with us, and your secret is safe with us, he said. I heard you were drinking that swill they served down at the bar and thought you might prefer a real drink. He pulled a fifth of Johnny Walker Blue from a brown paper bag, and I got us cups. So how are you here? Our associate here noticed your arrival, unscheduled fold activity, and she could tell it wasn't a nanite fold drive or one of ours. She guessed correctly that it must be human and contacted me. The ship's schedules made it obvious what you were up to, and so we did a little aerial drone search and found your ship. It looks awfully familiar, but doesn't have the same fold drive it did back in the day. Long story, I said. So we contacted our associate on 829166. I have to wonder why you are risking so much to help them. I told him. Have you asked yourself who will do all the work of recreating your technology? I don't know. Maybe they will decide it's not worth the bother, but they don't have billions of people to feed and fight. They can focus their energy on what they decide is important. There's only one way to find out. He poured us another round. Jay, there is something I need to tell you about your own people. I know you wonder why we denied you the gifts and our mark. I had long ago given up any hope that you would ever explain that, I said. There have been talks at high levels among my people. I know you have noticed that only Earth humans use money. Even your colonies don't because they had to be nanite-based to get them developed so quickly. We meant nanites to create what your people call a post-scarcity society. Nobody needs to want for any necessity of life on a world with a robust nanite infrastructure. There are exceptions like the raiders on their low metallicity world, which poorly feeds the nanite infrastructure, but for the most part it works. This is a very, very old design, older by half than your own planet. Okay, so why deny us? In order for it to work, all of our children need a mechanism to avoid ruinous overpopulation. We usually apply this when we apply our mark. And the most common form is either for fertility or libido to decrease in high population situations. The hyacinth are proud of their skyscraper, but those who spend a lot of time in it are finding that they need to move to the country for a few years if they want to reproduce. And it's long been understood that the long-term crews of fold ships don't tend to reproduce. We don't have any limitations like that. No, not like that. Several hundred thousand years ago, when it became clear your ancestors might enter the critical path, it was unclear that our usual methods would sufficiently curb your aggressive tendencies. 
but one of us made the calculation that for your race, the population limiting control could be war. There was no need for us to do anything and no danger that you would develop high technology and make wider trouble due to the constant disruption of your own national civilization. I think your colleague got that wrong, I said carefully. We have rarely been so spectacularly wrong about anything in all of our history, he said. We were confident that we had it right when your Roman Empire collapsed, as we expected. But when the Renaissance occurred, we were completely surprised. At that point, your technology became driven by your impulses to war and greed and advanced far more quickly than we had ever seen. Capitalism was brilliantly exploited, your own worst tendencies to drive your expansion. Watching your progress for the last few hundred years has been like watching an explosion that builds more things than it tears down. It defies everything we thought we knew about growth and civilization. Most of our children take thousands of years to progress from steam power to the full drive, even with the nanites to make it easy. You did it without our help in the blink of an eye. I extended my empty cup and he poured us another shot. Jay, why haven't you named 829166? I'm trying to keep a low profile, and I noticed a while back that when I name something, it tends to attract attention. Your hosts aren't on the microfold, though, and your secret is safe with my people. We are intensely curious as to how you will pursue this. Prometheus, I said. That isn't quite right, the curator admonished. You are playing the role of Prometheus, and the children of 829166 are playing the role of humans in this story. Still the closest I can think of, and Prometheans has a nice ring to it. All right. For the good of the Prometheans, you are going on a false identity to the most securely watched, paranoid, identity-obsessed, and technologically advanced world in the galaxy. You'll need money. Em and I have money. Money that is linked to your real identities. The people who covet what the witnesses gave you will trace that in half an hour. He produced a credit chip. Use this instead. We are old and have vast resources too. And if they try to trace that money, they will back off in a hurry. My people will consider you good for the loan. I was a bit worried about that, I admitted, and I accepted another shot. I don't know how to thank you. Thank us by making it interesting. My ability to monitor you on Earth is limited these days. If your mission goes south, I may be able to help, but I can't promise anything. We honestly want to find out what you can do with the Prometheans. We think we know what happened with humans now, but what you are trying at 829166 is similarly unprecedented. I would not be the one to predict that it can't work after what your own people did. He left the bottle and I finished it off. We were still two days from folding. Part 33. The first mission of the landable giant nanite ship Laputa had been the diaspora of New Orleans, and Emma had learned quickly that landing was not actually necessary or indeed even a good idea. The supergravity drive only took about 25 watts of power to keep the vast ship hovering. The only problem was that the spherical supergravity field intersected the ground and created a zone of zero G under the ship. Laputa hadn't even taken on the first of New Orleans' world-famous conventional foundation houses before adventurers had started to explore that space. The nearly identical Hyacinth ship that took me back to Earth didn't have a name, but it did use the same technique. By convention, the first landing was always as close as possible to New York City. 
but that still meant about a hundred miles away for a ship of this enormous class. But then the ship made rounds, and I got off at Stockton, California, where an area of desert that had once been farmland and was now desert again had been designated a spaceport. Half an hour later, I was in San Francisco. Even with fur, it was hard to get used to being naked in a place populated with so many other humans. The codpiece that shielded my genitals didn't have straps. It actually clamped to my fur. It had been custom-made for me, presumably by Nanite Tech on the fold ship. I also wore shoes, conventional earth plastic crocs, which were recommended for those aliens they fit, and a little kit that took the place of a wallet, which, like my codpiece, clipped to my fur. My first, and I considered most important, visit was to an old and storied bookstore. I had been carefully pretending not to understand English and almost burst out laughing when the clerk I met read the first index card I showed him, which said Galactic Common. Hey, Eric, we got an alien here I think speaks that funny language you've been practicing for the last five years. Eric and I made formal common introductions, and then I told him, I seek knowledge of your early technology. Technology knowledge is restricted, he said carefully. I seek only old technology, beginning, fire, steam, potions, discovery. Eric held up a finger and left. A few minutes later, he came back. Good news. Older than 50 Earth years is okay. You want the popular science section. I made a show of looking at my index cards. Reference, I said. I will have to ask about every book. Acceptable, I said. San Francisco has some of the most heroically complete used bookstores in the world, and the obsolete reference section he brought me to is exactly what I had hoped for. I honed in on the 43rd edition of the Handbook of Chemistry and Physics, published in onion skin paper in 1961. It was a little moldy, but perfectly readable. Thousands of man years of experimental results for price to go at about what the local waffle hut wanted for a pancake. I next added the Tool and Manufacturing Engineer's Handbook. Another 4,000 pages of accumulated knowledge about the shaping of metals and the tools to shape them. More centuries of practical experience laid onto paper. They had a few copies of the Radio Amateur's Handbook, and I didn't want to go back into the vacuum tube era, but they had the 1977 edition, which was mostly about semiconductors at low power. M could bridge the gaps for the Prometheans on that one, and the propagation theory was timeless. I was pretty sure Prometheus's ionosphere would turn out to be similar to Earth's. I also snapped up the complete new electric library from 1967. This is one of 10 volumes. And now I lost my place in this. Because I thought the Prometheans might find themselves needing things like dynamos and motors, and it did a very 19th century job of starting at the very beginning for those things. I also went for books on mineralogy and mining and glassmaking, all necessary bridges to the lab where purified chemicals might be turned into electronics. In the end, I had enough books to fill a pretty hefty backpack, and it all cost less than dinner did at the nice restaurant where so many U.S. presidents have had dinner in Chinatown. Earl took his credit from the chip the curators provided and handed me my bag. Is there a place to go for old communication gear, I asked him. Here there is a place to exchange everything. 
Common didn't really have a word for buy, despite being what everyone considers a trade language. I followed the transit system with more skill than I really should have had to a large warehouse outside of Oakland. I have a large club of young I'd like to show radio, I said. Two-way, some distance. They have no common power source. You want QRP transceivers, he said, slipping into English. He disappeared into the back for a moment and came back with a wall-hanging package. Self-contained, low power, capable of very long distance, but only at some times. You will need a code like our Moore's. I know of your Moore's code, I said, affecting difficulty. That is what I seek. How many do you have? He consulted the computer. 53, he said. I'll take them all. He raised his eyebrows for a moment, then tapped the computer. You'll need a lot of wire, but not very heavy wire for antennas. Also, for power, you want solar. With battery storage, the best propagation is at night here on Earth. That is good. This order would not fit in a backpack, but I had a delivery point. My next visit was in some ways my most important. They had a very professional salesperson who spoke common better than I do. I have this, I said, and showed him a card that read T-E-U. I need at least three copy machines and as much paper and as much supplies to print on that paper as it can carry and off-grid power. A common request, he said. We don't just have the best fold drives here on Earth. We apparently also have the best paper and printers in the galaxy. You do know the copy machines are restricted function for alien export. They will make simple copies but have no advanced capabilities and have features designed to discourage reverse engineering. I know of that, I said. Do you need color reproduction? No, just black and white. That makes things much simpler. This is the price of the monochrome copiers. How many do you want? The environment will be harsh, so five if possible. Not a problem, he punched it at the terminal. If we go to 80% limit for your TEU at normal loading, this is your limit for paper and enough toner to use it up with your printers. He swung the screen around and I had to reorient because it was formatted for my convenience in common, a language I found hard to read instead of English, which was natural for me. But I managed to make sense of it and hit the accept key. Off-grid, you will need kilowatt-class self-contained power solar stations for each copier. I don't sell those, but call on these people. They do. The next day, I met everyone at the shipping container and watched them load it. The copy people were first, and they brought a forklift. Shortly after, as scheduled, the radio people arrived with the radios, wire, small solar panels, and batteries, which were also heavy enough to require some loading effort. Then the serious solar people arrived with the equipment that could power my copiers for a reasonable duty cycle in good weather. Finally, I secured the books, and I locked but did not seal the container. I was on Earth for nine more days, whether I wanted to be or not, thanks to the regular schedule of the highest trade ship, and I might think of other things to toss in before I sealed it up. I decided the least conspicuous thing to do would be to act like a tourist. So I walked across the Golden Gate Bridge, had martinis at the top of the mark, toward the California Academy of Sciences, where there was a prominent exhibit about Earth's early fold project with pictures of them, myself, and the grasshopper, an entire room devoted to the few documents I'd preserved about the world destroyed by a fold drive. I attended adult night at the Children's Science Museum and had to politely decline several offers of companionship by both human sexes. With two days to go, I returned to my hotel room to find the human form curator waiting for me. 
this can't be good, I said. It's not bad yet, but I think it will be. It would be best if you leave Earth now. My container hasn't been unloaded yet, and the fold ship doesn't leave for two days. Yes, they've been stalling, unloading your container, and that's our first bad sign. Fortunately, it makes this easier. Come on, let's get this done. He held out his hand, and when I grasped it, I found myself standing next to the container in a staging yard. This one is yours, right? Yes. Still clasping my hand, he touched the container, and moments later, we were on Prometheus. How the hell? He answered by raising his shirt to reveal an amplifier belt. My people have taken an interest in the Prometheus situation. It is something we have been unable to fix on our own, and we're grateful for your help. I need to collect Dam and her ship before she is noticed on Hyacinth. He disappeared, and within five minutes, the plausible deniability appeared next to the container. The curator had used his belt rather than the plausible's full drive to transport it. Hyacinth space is jammed with earth full drives, pretending to be there for something other than finding you, the curator said as he followed him off her ship. They all know there was activity, but they won't be able to follow what I just did. So how long do we have, M asked. You should be safe until you need more supplies from earth. The Prometheans won't appreciate being monitored by us, so probably the safest thing if you get to that point is to go back to the witnesses and let them know you need our help. We'll get in touch. <coughs> then he disappeared. Well, that was a hell of a thing, M said. What do we do now? I guess we unload the shipping container, I said. I have some pretty cool books in there. Episode 34. Five years later, Promethean Uplift Project Plus Five. We went through half the paper copying reference material in the first six months. The Prometheans pulled up their sleeves and embarked on their technology project with a resolve that was breathtaking even by human standards. They already had bronze when we came to them, and within six months they had made their first steam engine. They found a surface seam of anthracite coal and were soon mining it, doing their first experiments with blacksmithing, a skill they had never developed since advanced weapons didn't interest them. Within a year, biopowered handmade machine tools were being replaced with tools run from shop steam, and everything was getting progressively bigger, more precise, more capable. In other labs, the arts of glass making and glass blowing were perfected. First methane, then coal gas powered Bunsen burners, and tubing was extruded by the tens of meters. In every lab, walls were covered with 8.5 by 11 inch sheets of paper printed at the lab that had grown up around our first landing point where we were based. Within two years, the glassware and other lab techniques were producing the first primitive medicines and chemical processes. Every day, we took the plausible deniability to a different location, usually taking a few passengers so the Prometheans could share what they had learned in person. By the third year, there were a dozen boiler shops and engine works, and they were making multi-horsepower triple expansion steam engines. We had warned them that they would need clean working spaces for their end game. And some of them set about figuring out how to make their traditional wooden structures less dusty. On their own, they came up with a coating made from coal tar, which bubbled to the surface at some places, and cellulose fibers, steam-powered mixers, pulped this into a smooth liquid, which could be painted on and hardened into a remarkably tough plastic-like impermeable surface. <coughs> we had also warned them that optical techniques would be critical. So other shops were working on lenses and mirrors, 
With these, they built microscopes, which were helpful both in the clean working space project and in demonstrating the germ theory of disease for their doctors. In the middle of their third year, they discovered a natural substance, much like penicillin, that could be cultured and made surgery and which made surgery commonly survivable for the first time in all of their history. At the beginning of the fourth year, I happened by the radio room as the operator was transcribing a message from one of the clean labs, which was trying to make electronics. They had managed to grow small pure silicon crystals and bake dopants into them to turn them into semiconductors. I saw the operator write the word transistor and stopped in my tracks. The operators at the radio network built around those 53 QRP transceivers I had brought and elected to dodge the issue of making their own code and simply translated everything to English and used actual Moors. The next day, M and I visited in the plausible deniability. They let us examine their transistor with all the advanced testing gear they didn't have themselves. They had been evaluating it with galvanometers. M pronounced it a workable depletion mode and channel MOSFET with a voltage gain of 110. For bonus points, they had made it with optical lithography techniques, which could be directly scaled to make an integrated circuit and optically scaled to miniaturize it. <coughs> I had thought we would need to go back to the witnesses and the curators to arrange another earth run for more paper and toner. But as the years passed, that became less and less necessary. The Prometheans were making their own paper and ink, and while it wasn't suitable for our copiers, it was fine for them to exchange knowledge among themselves. Hmm. We told them how printing presses worked, and when they felt a need, they started building those themselves. At five years, they were still using animal-drawn carts for most travel, but they were experimenting with steam-powered road cards and steadily improving the roads using not modern earth techniques, but those of our ancient Romans, which were more suitable to less automated construction and demonstrably more durable than asphalt and concrete surfaces. They weren't shipping so much of anything, even coal to power the steam engines, that any of this was inadequate. Since the Prometheans didn't have anything like money or an economy, we occasionally tried to figure out how they worked out, what went where. It turned out that those who made things took what might be called bids, which were letters or radio transmissions of request, with what they called, as near as we could translate, pleas of utility. The makers selected the bids that made the best case and sent their surplus works along to be used. The system seemed to work like their systems of agriculture and food distribution, which also continued to work as they had for tens of thousands of years. The idea that someone might try to game the system seemed incomprehensible and even obscene to them. What sort of person, I was asked several times, would risk a stain to their credibility that would certainly result from an exaggerated plea of utility? M and I decided not to enlighten them. One day we found a cast bronze statue on the yard outside of our base lab. It depicted M and myself, hairy but anatomically correct, countering a female Promethean child on the road. The artist turned out to be the female child who was now a young adult. She told us her plea of utility was simple. However, it turned out, one day we humans would call our work done and depart but her people should not forget the moment we came to shift their destiny. It was a bit embarrassing, but kind of hard to argue with. At the dawn of the fifth year of their project, the coal mine exploded. There was chaos on the radio network, and we understood that wagons were headed towards site from every direction, but they would take hours, days, or longer to arrive. We had a spaceship. 
we were there 15 minutes after we learned about the accident. The site foreman explained that they had been that they had started following the seam underground, and in their excitement, they had forgotten the early warnings we had given them about explosive gases building up in cavities. There were several workers buried in the rubble. M ran for the ship. <coughs> Tell them to tether themselves, she yelled through the door. I'm going to expand the supergravity field and make everything weightless. I explained what this meant to the foreman as the plausible deniability positioned itself above the field of debris. Rope, tie yourselves off and get ready to throw some rocks. It took a few tries for most of them to figure out how to maneuver, but soon we were all heaving chunks of coal toward the edge of the field, where they would drop into an impressively clean little ball around the site. It turned out the best way to keep yourself in contact with the debris was to use the debris as rocket fuel to push you back to the ground. If you got stuck, you just had to haul yourself back to the edge of the supergravity field by rope and jump back in with better direction. With first one, then two, then five survivors uncovered, they were quickly and easily pulled from the wreckage. <coughs> this is everyone, the foreman told me. I got Emma's attention and she normalized the supergravity field and landed the ship. Well, that's one way to get a lot of coal out of the ground, the foreman said. Then he looked at his injured workers. Not so good for them, though. I've never seen anyone survive injuries like that. They can now, Em said. Jay, they have antibiotics at Site-194. She's right, I said. Your people have done so much in so little time, you're not all aware of it. There have been medical advances. We need to get these people into the ship now. On a primitive world, there's no air traffic control. We raced the QRP radio signal to the hospital site and only barely got there before the crash team assembled to meet us. The foreman and four other mine workers accompanied us. It had been a bit crowded in the ship, but nobody complained. How will they be, the foreman asked us as the lead medical researcher followed her people into the clean operating room. This is a test for us, she replied. The humans have given us powerful tools, but we've never tried to use them before in such a dire situation. They'll have a drink for us. While the Prometheans had more than one of almost everything else, they only had the one coal mine. The other coal veins they had found were far dirtier and unappealing. We went with the foreman to the local pub where we drank to the health of each one of the injured and to the success of the Prometheum project. In the morning, we learned that two of the five injured workers had not made it, but it was looking good for the other three. Can you take us back? The foreman asked us. We have a lot of work to do. I think we left enough coal sitting on the ground to keep you shipping for at least a month, Em said. Oh, that's a good thing, too. We need to make sure we understand what happened so we can prevent it before we start digging again. Do your reference books have anything in them about this? The Wikipedia entry on mine safety turned out to be a pretty good introduction for them. Part 35. Seven years later. Promethean Uplift Project plus 12. We had been out of supplies for the copiers for years, but the Prometheans themselves had insisted we not try returning to Earth on their behalf. The lab that made their first transistor went on to make radios similar to the ones I'd imported. Soon there were tens of thousands of them, and they had an elaborate transmission schedule. They never bothered to make high-powered transmitters because they became quite good at reading their own ionosphere, and they weren't in a hurry if conditions were poor on any particular day. Their methods quickly diverged from ours. 
They learned to deposit thin films of pure silicon crystal on glass plates, which they then used to make large, low-resolution integrated circuits. <coughs> the large features were relatively immune to the small surface defects that wreck a fine feature human-made IC, and the method lends itself to hand registration and assembly. M did some calculations and announced that their method could lead to fold drives, too. It wasn't as compact as human technique, but it was still a lot more compact than nanite methods because they had more control of shape at relatively small scale, and they could deposit a large number of relatively thin layers with a surprisingly good yield. There was a steady stream of pilgrims who arrived in steam-powered buses to view the statue outside of our lab and look for a glimpse of M or me. We tried to humor them, but we were often elsewhere in the plausible deniability. Without the copiers, it was more important than ever for us to bring people to the source materials when they needed to look up something they might not have been disseminated. One of the Prometheans who helped make their first transistor quit the radio lab and set up her own lab, where she assembled thousands of silicon on glass plates to make their first computer. She next built a plotter and used the first computer to design new miniaturized plate masks for the second and to automate the build process so that finer registration and feature detail were possible. By this time, they had steam-powered electric generators and crude electric motors for their automation. M showed them how to add mechanical and optical sensors to the process. They also made more medical progress with the new lab tools, making drug extraction and purification and microscopy and other testing techniques ever more practical. Their sanitation facilities had not been a total disaster when we arrived. They had aqueducts to supply water to their larger settlements, and they knew better than to leave their waste where their food and water came from. But we showed them how to build compact septic systems, so even their smallest settlements could be sanitary and better techniques for dealing with the waste created by cities. As a result, their largest cities were able to safely get a little larger. We had told them that the secret of really good chemical batteries was lithium, and it had taken a few years for the prospectors to find deposits. Their energy usage was still a small fraction of Europe's during the Industrial Revolution, but we warned them that the techniques they would need to liberate pure elements from natural deposits would be messy and toxic. They did their best to keep their waste from their chemical processing out of the environment, but nothing is perfect. Fortunately, as with their energy production, their efforts were only a tiny percentage of what humans had done in our industrial adolescence. We were surprised to find out that we didn't need to teach them the periodic table. The curators had gotten that far before everything further turned out to involve mystery meat nanites. I suppose one of the advantages of nanites is that they don't tend to make the kind of mess that coarse chemical processing does. But as we had seen firsthand, nanites were also ultimately controlled by the curators. Our story of the dissolving civilian nanite weapons was taken quite seriously, even though the Prometheans didn't seem inclined to make weapons. It was just exactly what they had feared, that they would not be in control of their own products. There are far more requests for our attention than an M&I could possibly uh, field on our own. So the Prometheans set up their own filtering system to determine who would get our attention. Twelve years after we started them on the project, we got an invitation to a lab set up by a student of the computer builder. When we arrived, she showed us a large flat metal plate about three square meters, entirely covered with what looked like microscope slides mounted edge on. I think this is the most complex single artifact our technology has produced so far, she said, without telling us exactly what it was for. 
this looks suspiciously like an attempt at gravity plating, M said. Well, we're not in space yet, so we don't have any use for gravity plating, but we do have a use for levitation. She flipped a switch, and the whole assembly rose until it snugged to the four chains that were holding it down to the ground anchors. <coughs> gravity and levitation plating are fold, actually microfold technologies, but most of the curator's children don't really know how they work because they only know that certain nanites make the effect. Starting from scratch, when you know the end game, they are actually easier and safer to make than fold drives. We had not expected the Prometheans to reach this point for more decades. I've spent five years building this, the builder said. I can make it float, but I can't control it. I don't know how to make it fly. I can definitely help you with that, M said, with the biggest grin I'd seen her flash in years. Part 36. Ten years later, Promethean Uplift Project Plus 22. The air car came down exactly on schedule. The Prometheans didn't have a lot of things humans might take for granted, but they did have atomic clocks. And while drivers of their six air cars sometimes had to land on land and take manual sextant readings, they had an onboard computer with superbly good timekeeping to convert their readings into accurate longitude when they did. We boarded to see if we could help them offload their cargo. They were methodically working their way into space, and even though they didn't have a drive capable of reaching space yet, they knew that they would have to figure out how to deal with the environmental and navigational challenges when they got there. We were helping them with that by using plausible deniability to lift their experiments into space. This one was a glass sphere over a meter in diameter. We're not going to be able to get it into the ship, M said as soon as she saw it, and it's not fitted for the outside clamp. We are prepared. We have brought a belt. And indeed, they had a sewn leather waist belt for the plausible that would snug the experiment's mounting flange to the top of our fuselage. They showed us the wireless communicator and magnetic releases that they would use to start and release it from inside the ship. While the communicator closely resembled the low-power transceivers they still used for their civilization-wide radio network, it was of a new variety exploiting what the Prometheans called non-propagation frequencies or as we call them, VHF, UHF, and microwaves. They had done some automation, but still relied on Morse code and similar codes for almost everything, and had nothing resembling a public broadcast infrastructure. Once you release it, how do, you, how do we get it back? We don't plan to. We'd like you to put it in orbit, if you don't mind. The glass sphere was stuffed with glass plate integrated circuits, gas discharge tubes, and batteries. Their preferred method of making semiconductors turned out to be surprisingly good for working with high voltages. And while they had shown little patience for the advanced toxic chemistry necessary for quality light-emitting diodes or the precision automation necessary to make liquid crystal displays, they were masters of glasswork. Their general illumination was by white carbon dioxide gas discharge tubes, and their instrument and computer displays were based on gas discharge Nixie tubes, they had a few advanced computers operating cathode ray tube displays, but those were exotic rarities used for research. They called up a bunch of numbers on the flyer's Nixie display, and one of the researchers told them, these are the orbital elements we would like you to reach in your units, if possible. Of course it was possible. M took a picture of the display with her cell phone. 
a device that couldn't make phone calls out in the galactic boonies, but which could still make itself useful. Without any external navigational aids, even with our technology, all I'm going to be able to manage is an approximation of this orbit. That's fine. Part of this project is a civilization-wide project to receive data and make observations to establish a ground relationship to an object in space. How are you going to make ground observations of something this small when it's 400 kilometers up? He pointed out a large glass tube inside the sphere and said, Xenon. We had never seen them demonstrate a flash tube, but they hadn't needed one until now. The Prometheans took care of mounting the belt around our spaceship and then securing the experimental sphere. They were extremely careful and we didn't really worry about them. They all regarded the plausible as something like a sacred object. After some final tests, they announced that we were ready to fly. Four technicians would fly with us. How is it powered, M asked if, as we lifted off. Lithium air battery with solar recharge. Solar cells that small won't be able to keep up with much use. We expect it to function intermittently. Measuring that performance is one of our test goals, since this technology may be powering conveyance and life support for us one day. M took us up slowly so as not to stress the leather mounting belt. Won't a lithium air battery cause some pretty wild pressure fluctuations inside the sphere? We expect that. The sphere is hermetically sealed, and we expect it to maintain integrity and contain the battery's oxygen. A practical supergravity fold ship won't ever need to be in space for more than a few days, so this is a test of extremes. Once we cleared the atmosphere, M folded to a good starting point for their desired orbit and accelerated to orbital velocity. This is the best I can do at making your orbital specification, M said. It should be within a few percent. That is fine. We will figure out how close it is from ground observations if all goes well. She sent a message from the communicator, and there was a faint pop as the satellite was released. M maneuvered the ship so that we could see it through the forward viewing hemisphere. Almost beyond visibility already, I said, and as if on cue, the satellite xenon strobe went off, temporarily blinding all of us. We made it very bright. After a few final consultations with their communicator, the research team said there was no reason to stay with it any longer, so M took us back to our lab. Once we landed, the research team got on their flyer and went back to the lab that had built the sphere, taking their leather launch belt with them. We're not sure we'll ever need it again, but if we do, we'll have it, the team leader said as they closed up the levitation flyer and lifted off. Four days later, there was a knock on our door shortly before sunset. It was the Promethean director of our lab. I know you've seen it a lot closer, but I thought you might want to join us for the first flyover, he said. It's a big deal for us. Once the battery wears, we won't be so sure the flasher is working on any particular pass. There were nearly 200 Prometheans gathered on the street, which had been closed to traffic. When we appeared, there was a little cheer, but everyone went back to rubbernecking the sky. There were at least six sextants smattered on tripods. Fortunately, we had a perfectly clear sky with no clouds. When the first blink happened, about 30 degrees above the horizon, there was a cheer. The sextant operators got busy. The trick for them was to track and anticipate the sky motion so as to get at least one accurate sighting. The radio network was propagating a standard time signal for them to use. For the rest of us, it was a light display as the satellite crossed the sky, blinking about once every 10 seconds. And we understood other researchers were on radios recording data about temperature, battery performance, and other factors. 
The sphere had several transmitters operating on different frequencies. We were surprised to find that one of the sextant operators in front of our lab was one of the researchers who had flown it into orbit with us. We waited for her to complete her observations and said hello. We thought you went back to the base, we said, once she had written down her readings. Oh, I did, but we are keeping all six air cars busy during these first orbits so as to get as many quality observations as possible from our largest settlements. I was wondering about this, M said. What's the point of all the amateur observations? You only need a few professional observations to pin down the orbit. That is true, but that's not our real objective. You do recall that once we built our first air car, we began taking aerial photographs of our settlements to record them. We printed an atlas of our results three years ago. I do recall the atlas coming out. Our lab has a copy, I said. Well, our photography skills are still primitive since we didn't see much use for it until this project. So it wasn't practical for us to photograph our entire domain. So while we now have accurate maps of all our settlements, our estimates of exactly where those settlements are are sometimes off by tens of kilometers. Since the satellite moves very fast and everyone can receive our atomic time broadcasts, even poor observations can locate the observer to within a few meters. We will be processing data from these first days for some time, but we expect to greatly improve the accuracy of our maps. Em and I faded back to our quarters before anyone else might realize our role in spectacle. You could say the hard part was getting it into orbit, and we had done that for them. But really, the important part was that it was Promethean technology functioning in space, a real and perceptible thing which their entire society was participating. They would be getting around to the getting it into space themselves part soon enough. <clears throat> part 37. Four years later, Promethean Uplift Project plus 26. Once they had air cars, the Prometheans didn't need our help to explore the environmental conditions of space. A levitation air car could reach an altitude of over 40 kilometers, and while it couldn't go any higher or accelerate to orbital velocity, that was outer space for all practical testing purposes. It was a surprise to us to find out that they had mostly working pressure suits. They were custom-fitted and hand-sewn, but then so were human pressure suits in our early space travel days. They also had finally figured out how to make electronically controlled liquid crystal light filters in order to deal with the glare above the atmosphere, and the computer people were now taking an interest in those as low-power display elements. There was frantic knocking on our door around midday one day, and we opened it to find our lab director holding a radio transcription slip. There's been some kind of mishap, he said. The pressure suit people have lost contact with their air car. Has it crashed? It's still at altitude. The automated transponders are still operating, but they have no contact with the pilot. That's not good, M said. Let's go. M didn't waste any time. Once we were high enough, she bolted us right to the vicinity of the experiment, which was over 2,000 kilometers away. Fortunately, the air car was equipped with a strobe, so we quickly found it. There was no response to our attempts to communicate. It was obvious we would have to EVA to find out what was going on. And since the plausible deniability didn't have an airlock, that would mean both of us donning our own pressure suits, which we hadn't worn in decades. Fortunately, modern human technology is really good, and our biological modifications kept our body dimensions stable. Unfortunately, we quickly figured out that human-made pressure suits were not designed to be properly sealed if you are furry. 
It took us long minutes of fiddling to get the clamps shut, and even then both of our suits hissed leakage as we went about the rescue. Since we weren't in orbit, M stayed behind to pilot, pilot the plausible, and I took the tether and descended to the Promethean air car. The pilot was unconscious, and it was clear that his suit had lost integrity. It must have happened suddenly because the air car had an emergency return sequence. It couldn't be activated remotely because the pilot had been in the middle of an experiment when it shut down. The emergency returns was in progress when the suit failed. I reset everything and started the ship back. Then M hauled me back in with the tether winch. We followed the air car down and met with the researchers. They thanked us profusely, and we offered our condolences. Being Prometheans, they just said now that they had work to do, and we left them in short order so they could get to it. Back at our lab, M made a close inspection of the seals of our suits that pinched our fur. The fur might not have been such a good idea, she said, after finding the metal polishing kit. <clears throat> Without the fur, I'd never been able to go on to retrieve the documents from Earth that were the basis for all of this, I reminded her. She sighed. That's true, but you know, as much as I've gotten used to not needing clothes, we really don't need to be furry here. We need to make a visit to the witnesses then. We didn't tell the Prometheans exactly what we were up to, only that we would be gone for a few days and that it was, wasn't to some dangerous place like the Earth. Even though we had no way to forewarn them, the Prometheans, still not being on the microfold network, the witnesses received our direct communications from the plausible beyond the range of their fold inhibitor, and they opened their defenses so we could land in their palace courtyard again. We were again received as honored guests. We were again offered clothing, which, like the pressure suits, now fit awkwardly over our fur. At the usual lavish dinner, when we explained our reasons for returning, the president chuckled and nodded. We expected you might have an alternation of needs, she said, which is why we built in an epigenetic switch. She motioned and an assistant approached and handed us two bottles of pills. The red pills turn your fur on and the blue pills turn it off and restore your natural human hair pattern. You need to take one a day for about 10 days to get a proper dose of each. And when turning your fur off, it will take about a week for you to run the course for all the fur to fall out. Be careful with those because both of those drugs are highly toxic to unmodified humans. Those bottles should allow you to switch several times, and we will gladly make more for you if you find you need them. Your anticipation skills are remarkable, I said. We've been doing this for a very long time. Now we will need clothing, Em said, an entire wardrobe. Please stay with us while you defer. I'm sure you will remember our textile expert. He has been learning as much as he can about human fashion, and I'm sure he will be delighted to have more than one human to make clothes for. Emma and I looked at one another. Is there another human here, she asked? Did our people find you? The president nodded. Oh, indeed, they did. We should have dinner tonight and again tomorrow, and we will catch up on past events. Em and I found our quarters, took our pills, and found the textile shop where the witness we'd met over 20 years before was effusive in his delight at seeing us. We hear you have another customer, Em said casually. Oh, yes, that guy. His interests are so narrow, though, jeans and t-shirts and underwear. He has no interest at all in showing flair. The next evening, we were already seated when he joined us. Despite the age regression, we, we recognized him instantly. The last time we saw you, you promised to kill us, Em shouted. A younger and stupider person, Q said. 
I have to admit that if we had met even 10 years ago, I probably would have tried to kill you. But that was before I caught my girlfriend sleeping with my first lieutenant and killed them both. You are not improving your case, M said evenly. I don't know what they did to me. I do know immortality didn't work out very well for any of my companions. My best friend since childhood went back to Earth and disappeared, and I'm sure if he's still alive, he's in a steel box somewhere being tortured to find out exactly what doesn't kill him. And when I killed her, I realized there was a hole in my heart I had never felt before, and it hurt in ways that I had never imagined were possible. The president said, as part of the cure, we fixed their emotional defect. Your people keep changing its name, but in your generation, it was called sociopathy. It's a genetic defect in the operation of an oxytocin receptor, which affects between 1% and 2% of your population at random. It's an interesting case of otherwise unrelated genes crossing purposes. Our technology can fortunately fix it. This man left a trap intended to destroy your world. Not intended, Q said. We were just stupid. We really thought our technology was so much better that nobody could ever really get into the ship. Thank you for saving the day, by the way. There was a bottle of wine on the table and Emma upended it directly to her lips. I can't handle it right now, she said. I don't want to offend our host, but if you stay, I have to leave. Q looked at the president and nodded. I should go, he said. I'm very sorry for all the trouble I've caused. I hope I can make it up to you one day. So you cured his sociopathy, Emma said in a low growl that indicated she had no faith whatsoever that such a thing was possible. It was a relatively simple thing compared to curing your tendency to die, she replied. Habits are also a thing, and it took a while for his consciousness to process what we did to him. He didn't figure it out in time to save his friends, but they were all also wrestling with the same issue. They did indeed leave a trap that could destroy our world, and we intended our treatment as punishment. He is the one that got the message, though. He is a different human now, and further punishment would serve no purpose. M took another deep gulp from the wine bottle. I'm going to take this back to our quarters, she said, and lurched away from the table. You can do whatever you want, Jay. Please make sure I don't encounter him again before we leave. We can arrange that, the president said as she left. I'm sorry, I said. We've actually seen what happens to a world they do that to. She risked everything to stop it from happening again at Kattegat. She has no sense of humor about it. We do understand. Remember that we operate a fold inhibitor for a reason. Your own people came to us with demands that we had to refuse. My eyes flew open. Our people came to you? Yes, they traced your route here somehow through the fold logs of the ship you flew the first time you visited us. That is how Q was able to find you here. And what did our people do? We had to remind them that we had driven off several invasion fleets over the course of our history. And while your technology is good, it's not that good. We have the high ground as long as we are protected by the fold inhibitor. Why did you offer Q sanctuary? He poses no threat to us or to you, and we would not be who we are if we did not believe that experience could lead to redemption. He is applying himself hard to the lessons we offer, and we believe that in time he will make an exemplary witness. Is introducing him to us one of those lessons? It could be, the president said. Then again, there could be a fortunate economy and that reintroducing him to you could also be a lesson for you. If so, I don't think M got it. It can take time. It took over a decade for Q to understand, and for us there is no hurry. 
another wine bottle was brought, and I poured myself another glass. I am curious as to how you got our countrymen to back off. I would expect them to build a chemical rocket and come here with nuclear weapons before backing down. We demonstrated that the fold inhibitor shutter allows us to use fold technology within our own domain while denying it to outsiders. They could have mounted a devastating war against people sharing their limitations, but for practical purposes, our defense is impregnable, and they recognized that. We also put out feelers on Earth where the curators sometimes act as our agents. We got the strong impression that their expedition was unauthorized and illegal and that nobody wanted to be caught with their pants down if it failed. The curators act as your agents? It's a mutual association. We have different goals, but we've worked together for aeons. I realized as I stood up that my chair was covered with hair. Fuck, I'm shedding, I said absently. That's okay, the president said. We have had vacuum cleaner technology since before the curators whacked your home world with a planetoid to create its moon. And uh, that is the point at which I had planned to stop because the next episode brings us on to another little arc that would take a few episodes. Well, it ends perfectly because I got my next guy in five minutes. I was going to say, though, I love that I love that you went into all of that because I'd always thought, um, you know, kind of like this fall barred seed vault. I'd always thought like, mm-hmm. you know, or continuity of government, you know, all the bunker systems that I'm so obsessed with. It has, <laughs> I, I had always thought, like, what would you bring back in time or what would you stow away? Because, right, I mean, all the mm-hmm. infrastructure today works for today's things. But what if you had to start from scratch? What would you do? Yeah, and it would be like huge kind of the equivalent of physician desk references, but right, it'd be about metals, chemical reactions. You'd probably get the physician's de- desk reference, maybe mm-hmm. an astronomy book, just some very, this is what's been accrued. Yeah, I mentioned the books that I actually own. Yeah, I know. And it's, we, had yeah. A, we had a lively discussion in the comments after that episode about what you would put in your personal uplift library if you were given this assignment. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's right. You probably just go to the yeah the primary sciences, and but I'm I'm glad you. That's what I mean by your works are the edges are tucked in. Um, <laughs> obviously, you were reading, so you weren't paying attention. There's been like a fucking tiny little fly going around. I've never once. <laughs> I saw had, movement over there, but I was looking here, and you were over there. I've, I've never once had a bug in this apartment. There's like one or two spiders, and I allowed them to live because I know that they kill all the the mosquitoes and stuff. So they don't bug me. Yeah. We have a we have a a very ver, uh, quick agreement with the spiders. I'm like, hey, if I ever like find you in my bed, I'll fucking kill you. Aside from that, just leave me alone. Yeah. So there's like one or two spiders. I've seen <laughs> maybe once a month. Then you know they'll be on the ceiling or a wall. And I let them go because oh. there's never a bug. But there was one little, like, gnat flying around while you were reading. And you can see me as I'm just trying to grab them. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> I'm bumping into the microphone. And I was just trying to grab. And I was like, well, Roger can't see me. He's reading. And then I'm like, it's still recording me. <laughs> so if you watch this one back, you're going to see me just fucking grabbing shit. But, uh, and I thought I got it. But then I just saw it again. Um there could be a fly. There, there could be more than one because when those fruit flies start uh, yeah, coming in, we occasionally have a little infestation of them at work, and it's annoying as fuck because you'll get what you think is one, but then when you get it, then there's ten more that just move in after it. 
beautiful. Um, so. Yeah, no, and it's. I wish I had more time for us to uh, to break down the reading, but I do love it, and I, I do love. I don't. That's another thing I'd always thought is like how quickly would things accelerate if you could go back? Obviously, years is more of a bring it to another uh, world. My the idea that I always thought of is like if you could bring it back in time. Yeah. Yeah. What would you do if you could just go back five hundred years and be like, here are the things that you're going to have to learn through trial and error. Yeah, and the Prometheans have a demonstrably slightly different uh bent on it than we did and their technology is going to diverge from ours uh that was another thing that several of the reddit readers commented on was that i made them actually alien yeah and they really liked that because it was different so the, for what that's worth <laughs> and then there's also and there's like there are like unique phenomena like because things are accelerating so quickly, it is possible that other parts of the world were discovered. Whereas where we are, right? I mean, with the exception of like military classification, we're pretty, it's, we move slow enough that kind of everyone knows about every interactivity, right? I mean, one advancement here leads to an advancement over in this corporation, which, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're, they're moving so fast that they're, they're moving faster than their own communications. Yeah are able to keep them all updated on what one another is doing. So uh, in, in a sense, each of them is working in a little bit of a vacuum, uh, except for these little points where J&M show up and, you know, bring a few colleagues to visit once every once in a while, uh, you know, and, and of course they distribute the copies of the source materials, but then that hasn't been going on for a while at this point. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun to figure out, well, how, how's that going to go? Uh, and of course, it's going to have to recoalesce when they get to the point of building ships, which won't be long now. So uh, it's yeah, you know, uh, that was that was part thirty-seven, and book one is uh, is fifty episodes. So we are now within a couple of readings, striking distance of finishing book one. Fuck yeah! And, and uh, book two is where I start pulling the really big rabbits out of my hat. When uh, another thing I was going to say is the coal explosion or the mine explosion, mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting parallel to, uh, you know, could you back up one more level? And it's like, what if you, what if aliens were looking over us, like right now, and not like nonfiction, like in the real world, and they would have these moments where it'd be like, do we go down and help? Like, are they watching a tsunami? Are they watching a genocide? Are they watching World War II? And do they have to hold back and go like, no, let's see how they deal with it? Yeah. Well, and also it shows the Prometheans aren't perfect. You know, yeah. they, they make mistakes too. Yeah. And uh, so they're they're like us in that regard. Uh, it's, it's not that they are like uh, semi-divine or that, you know, they're exalted beings or something. No, they... Uh, they have limitations like we do. They're slightly different than yeah. ours. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there there are some ways in which they're very noble and laudable compared to us. But there are other ways in which they are very much like us in some of the bad ways. And that was one of them. They got sloppy in a dangerous situation, uh, but they will learn from it. And they have which. Um, and we got to wrap this one up because like a moron, I'm writing this right up to the wire. <laughs> they also seem to have that that good that good uh stoic german uh yeah well there's work to be done <laughs> well, they time. spent 70 th- they spent seventy thousand years showing the curators their middle finger yeah 
Yeah. So yeah, that that was kind of implicit. <laughs> they have like like the like one of the like the patriarchs of like the Krupp dynasty. He like put it into his like will. He was like, my funeral will be no longer than twenty one minutes, and then you are to get back to work. <laughs> so he had his son wrap it up, and it's like, all right, back to the line. And it's just like, there's something you know bad when that when they put that energy towards genocide. But you know, kind of comical when it's just towards working, like well, back to work. Yeah. You know, just like sales work to be done, right? But um, <laughs> Roger, we got to wrap this one up because now I'm officially late Hi. because I'm unprofessional and have no idea how to conduct myself, and clearly I'm not punctual. <laughs> we well, next week you're probably gonna be doing something, and I'm probably taking Sunday off yeah. next week because I've got podcasts nonstop through Saturday because I'm a fucking moron who doesn't know how to schedule a break. <sighs> Jesus Christ! All right, well. <clears throat> Then we'll, then, we'll, then we'll be on the same page. Neither of us will be in a position to do a podcast next Sunday. Beautiful. Well, we will resume when we resume. All right. Yeah, I'll be in touch. All right, buddy. Take care. Recording stop. Godspeed.